Bible talks about a separation from light and darkness. Okay, a light and darkness. And we're to be separated. But, but at the same time, there's a unity. This is what we're going to talk about today. What are we to be unified with? And what are we not to be unified with? If we're separated unto God, uh, then we're, there's a separation. Lost people and saved people. A dark world that doesn't know Jesus. We talked about us as believers being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we're separated from the ungodliness around us. But there's to be great unity within the body of Christ. Even as Jordan, again, talked about the church this morning. One body and so forth. We're going to look at some of those scriptures. But uh, the Word of God teaches that there's to be a clear separation from. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, right? Wherefore, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? There's none. It's a... Again, it's a rhetorical question. What, what communion has he that believes with an unbeliever or infidel? There's none. Wherefore, come out from among them. So we separate ourselves from ungodliness. We separate ourselves from sin. We separate ourselves from mockers and blasphemers and everything that would be anti-Christ and anti-Christian. There's plenty of it. But at the same time, there's to be, as, as Christians, as born-again men and women and young people, there's not only a biblical separation, but God wants there to be a unity within the body of Christ. And it's not just like this church, but the church universal. Those that are truly born of the Spirit of God. And certainly we'll practice that in our own church right here, a cornerstone. But if we're going to live a life and, and going to have a church that glorifies Jesus Christ, we have to be unified. If somebody came in here and there was a bunch of quarreling going on and bickering and division, uh, that's not going to honor the Lord. That's not going to be a healthy church. It's not going to be a strong church. It doesn't mean we're not born again. It doesn't mean God couldn't fix it because He could, He can't. We're going to talk about some of that today. But you just get the picture very quickly in a military sense, and that was in a carnal sense. There had to be uni unity before they could face the real enemy that was a threat to all of them. And so there had to be unity on the home front. And there needs to be unity in the home front within the house of God. And so we're consecrated unto the Lord. So there's a, nat a, a natural or a supernatural separation when God saves us. That we're separated unto the Lord. So we're separated from things that are not of God. That has to be. And I know that was the whole sermon two weeks ago. But there also the Lord wants us to be unified. Look, yonder is the enemy is what that admiral said. That's the enemy. The enemy is not here. We might even have disagreements, might have some strong disagreements. And that's okay. But, but God can bring the unity if we'll let Him. If we'll all submit to Him and allow Him to do that. Uh, the division that, that we have that's right is one where we're divided from Satan and the things of darkness and compromise and sin and worldliness. That's a right division. And we're to be separated unto the Lord. And that, that division is based not upon my personality or your personality. Or you think we should have our midweek service on Thursday and I think we should have it on Wednesday. But it's the separation that God brings. This, this, the division is one of holiness, of light and darkness. And what when Jesus asked, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And, and then he said, well, some say this and some say you're one of the prophets come from the dead again. Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? That's what brings the separation. If you say, I believe like Peter did, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Guess what? You believe that and you surrender to Christ, there'll be a separation. 
and the rest will follow that. So that is a good separation. That's healthy. That must be there. That division, if you want to call it that. Uh, Jesus said, don't think that I've come uh, to bring peace on the earth. I'm not come to send peace. And that sounds strange. We think He's the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. But in the sense that He's talking about, He goes, I, I, uh, I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against their mother and the daughter-in-law against their mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. What is He talking about? He's talking about you might have two people in a, in a family. And this one gets saved and this one is not and absolutely refuses to get saved and doesn't want to get saved. Guess what? There's going to be a division. And you can't mend it as hard as you would try. You can still love them. It's not that we fall out of love with them. But there is a division, right? And it's there. And we're not trying to, to try to help it or bridge over it or, or sweep it under the rug or something like that. We're born of God's Spirit and this one's not. And so that's what he's talking about when he says, don't think I'm coming to bring peace, but a sword. He's talking about in that context. He definitely brings peace to the heart of every believer, everyone that trusts him. He is the Prince of Peace, and he gives us peace through this life, and one day there'll be peace on this earth during the millennial reign and so forth. But uh, there needs to be that separation, and there's not an overlap between the two kingdoms. You know, when the, when the Lord saved us, it says in Colossians that He translated us from the kingdom of darkness into, into, into the kingdom of His dear Son. So just picture two kingdoms. There's not any intermingling of the two. And the Lord saved us out of one and put us in the other. But this camp over here that belongs to Christ and everybody here is born of His Spirit, that needs to be unified. We're separated from this, but we don't need to be separated from one another. We need to be unified in the Lord. And that's what we're talking about today. And so I want you to turn, if you would, if you would in your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're talking about a biblical unity, uh, unity that God desires for His church. Y'all know that the Lord desires for His people to be unified. It's taught in the Bible, and we're going to look at some scriptures today. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I might have said 10. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's practically begging them. That's what he's beseeching. It's like very strong imploring them. Okay? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? We'll just stop right there at the beginning of, of that verse 13. And so the Lord desires for there to be union, uh, unity within His body. Separation from the world, separation from ungodliness, separation from sin and the life we had before we knew Christ. We belong to Him. We're part of His family now. But that family needs to be united. And the Lord desires for it to be. We're still human beings and we have rough edges and we have opinions and we sometimes are not governed by the Holy Spirit at every moment of our lives. How many of you know you and I are not always governed by the Holy Spirit? We are to be. We ought to be. And it is possible to be, but in reality, I think we find out pretty quick we're not in a marriage or any, in a church that even though we're all saved, we don't always, uh, we're not always being led by the Holy Spirit 
or the Word of God in everything that we do. But we ought to be more and more that way. Would you agree? More and more that way. That's honoring to God. That's pleasing to God. It glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a couple of words in, in the passages that we read where Paul said there, that uh, there's divisions among you. Divisions means a split or a schism or a tear. Okay? So if you had a, a, a shirt or you know, a pair of pants or something and they had a big tear down the side, it's still one pair of pants, but all the way down the side of my left leg I got this big tear. Obviously it's not functioning properly. You know, it's not doing everything it's supposed to do. It's still a pair of pants. We can't say it's not, but there's a rent, there's a tear. So that's what these divisions within the body of Christ, if we had a division in this body, and I'm not saying we never will have one, okay? But if we had division within any Christian community or body, that's there's still a body, but there's a tear, there's a schism, there's a rent. And in this case, what you had was people saying within the church, so just picture this big church at Corinth. I don't know what their building was like or anything like that, but within that that assembly, let's say Chuck over here would say, Well, I'm I'm of I'm of Paul. He, he's the man. He, I'm, I'm a follower of Paul. And like Chris over here says, well, I'm of Peter. You know, and, and Katie says, well, I'm of, I'm of, C, I'm of uh, Apollos. And they're all like, what does that matter? We're all followers of Christ. And it sounds so immature and childish, okay? Well, I promise you, we've probably done worse things than that. And, and Peter, I mean, Paul says, what's that matter? <laughs> There's a division, and, and, and it doesn't matter. Christ didn't divide it, okay? He's the one that saved your soul. Let's worship Him. We're all followers of the Lord. And we start, and as simple as that is, it gets your mind back on the truth, back on the bigger picture. We talked Wednesday night about looking, in our study in Hebrews chapter 12, about looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If I'm looking at Paul or Peter or Apollos or some other modern day Christian that we're a follower of, uh, then my eyes are misplaced. I thank the Lord for godly people to be our examples, and God does raise up teachers and pastors and evangelists and, and counselors and people to put in your life, and that's we ought to be thankful for that. But we follow Jesus, okay? And we're united in that. And so when it, when it talks about uh, content, contentions, it means strife or debate, okay? Strife or debate. But it's amazing what he says here in verse 12. Now this I say that, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11, he goes, I want you to be, I'm sorry, back, back to verse 10. Of the same mind, all speak the same thing, that you all be of the same mind, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And I just want you to listen to a couple of these verses, okay? And just listen to this from Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. If you're taking notes, it's Acts 2, 44-47. And all that believed were together. I know we just skim over it kind of quickly, but I think it's significant. Because God didn't save one and then save another, and yet their experience was totally different. We're saved by the same God, the same Spirit, the same blood that washes us and so forth. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and part of them to all men as every man had need. There's the all and the every within the body. And they continued daily with one accord 
in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And this was a healthy church. This is the first church, okay? This is the first church on the day of Pentecost that was birthed. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Because there was a separation among the believers from the lost world. But there was a great unity among this new group of believers that had just given their lives to Jesus. They were fresh, wet behind the ears. They had just given their life to Christ. They didn't know all the Scriptures. They didn't know all the, uh, you know, the, the fine points of doctrine. They were lost. Now they're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're breaking bread with singleness of heart. And they're worshiping the Lord and they're praying and they're taking the Lord's Supper together and they're continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine. And God says this is a healthy church. Doesn't mean everybody was perfect, but the church was healthy. It was what it was supposed to be. And because it was, it says God added to the church daily, not just members, but such as should be saved. People came and they got saved and now they're part of this group over here. By, by the, as a result of their salvation, they're now part of this group. They don't have to try to be separated necessarily from this over here. They just have to give their life to Christ. And so we saw that uh, we see that unity right there. Uh, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, I'll just read this. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The enemy's out there. The enemy is, is sin. And the result of sin, or the wages of sin, is death. And the Bible says that He might, Jesus Christ might, reconcile both, that's Jews and Gentiles, unto God in one body by the cross. It's all through the cross. So we're unified in the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. In other words, He did the work to put to death uh, sin and Satan and the effects of of sin upon our lives and the wages of sin, the consequences. The Christ did that and He reconciled us in one body. I want you to, would if you turn, if you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, let's pick up in verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, it's not water baptism, that's just salvation. Salvation is also referred to as a baptism. There is water baptism, as we've talked about. This is speaking about salvation. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, that's being born again, have put on Christ. There is neither, talking about the unity within the body of Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We'll stop right there on that passage. That's very important. Again, I know it's simple, but, but the fact that it doesn't mean that you can't tell who's a male or a female or, that, or anything like that. It's talking about in this sense of Christian unity that we're all on equal footing on the foot of the cross. We all came, you know, some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. We all, 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 we're one body, okay? And there's, there's a distinct separation from the world, but a great unity in Christ. And He wants that to be there. It's important. It's a witness for the Lord. It's a testimony for the Lord. It's the sign of a healthy church. It's the way we're to function 
It pleases God and brings God great glory. And so he says that I, I beseech you that you be perfectly joined together. And so what's amazing is just in this room right here, we have male and female. We have all different ages of people. We have people that have been saved for a long time and people that have been saved within the last few months. We have people uh, of all different pursuits and, and you know professions and things like that and backgrounds. And guess what? That's fun. God made you that way and He made me this way. And we're not to try to change to be something else. But in Christ, the Lord brings us together. And He wants us to be together. And He brings this unity. And, and other aspects of life, we wouldn't have a whole lot in common. You know? And, and uh, I've always amazed, been amazed at that and marveled at that. And like a big dinner on the ground or some big church fellowship that, you know, I could, I could sit here and talk to Ian and Josh, for example, okay, or some of the little kids here, or one of the, you know, whoever, and, and there's a fellowship. Mm -hmm. Even though they're little children, it's like it, it doesn't matter. And in other areas of life, you don't really see that. You know what I mean? People congregate people of their, that they're peers. They hang out with people that are just like them pretty much in life in every area. But in church, it's a beautiful thing that the Lord brings people together. And you love this little kid as much as you love this old grandma, you know. And we're all, we're all together in the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing. He says that you be perfectly joined together, that you speak the same thing, that you mind the same thing. And this is important, that you be of the same judgment. Y'all think that's important that believers in this body right here, for example, that we be in the same judgment. I think it's absolutely essential. Judgment when it comes to doctrine. Judgment when it comes to uh, counsel that we're going to give somebody. You know, I've said this before. If if D, if somebody came with a, a believer came with a real burden, a real problem, and they needed some godly counsel, they should be able to talk to D and get godly counsel and go to say Margaret over here and talk to her and get the same counsel. Maybe not the exact same scriptures, okay, but the same basic overall counsel mm -hmm. and they shouldn't get one thing from D and then 180 degrees different from Margaret and then they come and talk to Chris over here and he's got something totally different thing we're all we're, it shouldn't be that way yeah. we should be able and some are more gifted at counseling and so forth I understand that but still it shouldn't be different it shouldn't be different we should get the same counsel for example should I marry an unbeliever well, what does the Word of God say? D would say, you know, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Margaret would say, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Chris would say the same thing. It's not that all that we have to all be pastors or professional counselors or something. We ought to have the same judgment. It's essential to the body of Christ that we have the same judgment. And guess what the, the standard of the rule is? It's this. It's not, well, Chris really thinks this and his life experiences have taught him this, you know, and Jenny's life experiences has taught her this. And so, no. What is Christ teaching us? Amen. What is the Holy Spirit teaching us through the Word of God? And we're all growing in that. We're all, every single one of us from the pulpit to the pew is growing in that. Growing in our, uh, our getting those spiritual uh Weapons sort of sharpened and our senses exercised unto godliness and so forth. This is of the Lord, but we be of the same judgment when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to counseling, when it comes to personal living, how you live your life. 
It shouldn't be that different. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it really shouldn't be. Uh, decisions that we make, judgments that we make, it must be godly, we must be biblical, and we must be, uh, our standard must be the Word of God. Okay? It has to be. The Word of God, that has to be our authority. Not, it's easy to say that, but it's another thing to really practice that. It's one thing to preach a sermon or teach a lesson on Christian unity or having God's Word be the standard for all of us. Another thing to get up and go live that way. Day by day, with people that may rub you the wrong way, even within the church. We have to be led by the Lord and we have to be unified within the, within the context of biblical truth. Okay? Biblical truth. And so... Um, Somebody might say, well, you know, I think it's okay to, to cheat on my, they might not say this, but they might practice it, to cheat on my income taxes a little bit. You know, besides the government, they tax me way too much anyway. Well, I think we're taxed way too much too. But it does not mean that it's okay for me to, to do something like that. Somebody else says, well, I don't think it's okay. Well, what's the standard? You see, what's the standard? It has to be the Lord. It has to be His Word. And that's what's going to bring the unity. And if, if we will let the Lord be that authority in our lives, then we're going to have real unity. Because you think about that. All of us, from all different walks of life, recently saved and saved a long time, if we'll, all of us come to the Word of God and say, I agree that this is our standard. Can we all agree on that? That the Bible is rightly divided, okay? rightly divided by the Spirit of Truth, the Word of Truth, is going to be our standard. It's going to be our standard on how I live personally. It's going to be, going to be our standard on what we preach in our doctrine and what we believe. It'll be our standard on handling uh, problems or divisions. We're going to go to the Word of God to be our final say-so, our final word. And if we will do that, then God's going to have, have this unity among us. And we'll be unified. But that's where the unity needs to be, okay? It needs to be uh, unified. And so, with the Word of God. And you know what? When we begin to compromise in that area, this is where the disunity comes from. Let's say that uh, I brought some, I pray I never would. Y'all pray for me and hold me accountable. But let's pray, let's say that I brought some teaching that was out of balance or, out, or, or not biblical. Okay, maybe just slightly, and I brought it to you. And some say, well, that's, that's our pastor, and so we're just going to go with it. And somebody else says, no, I'm not going to just go with it, because it's not the Word of God. Yeah. we got a division right there. And the problem is, I mean, what, what would solve it if we would all come back to the Word of God Amen. and say, this is what the Word says. Mm -hmm. And it can be humbling, okay? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need to be humble. But if we keep ourselves humble, you know, we don't have to be humbled by God. But, but we'll see, sometimes people will compromise. they say, well, I don't want to make any waves and cause any trouble, so I'm just going to kind of go with it. I'm going to go with that teaching. I'm going to go with that doctrine. Or, he, he, you know, in our church we put so-and-so up in, in leadership. And this person has just gotten saved, and they're not ready to be in leadership. It's not healthy for them to be there. But I'm just going to go with it. You know, we, we need to be mature. We ought to be able to handle something like that. 
without having a church split and falling apart. We ought to be able to handle it, okay? Um, if the, the Bible rightly divided must be our standard by which we live. The Lord's not confused. You know that. The Lord, let's say we put Joe, Joe Blow over here as an um, uh, associate pastor. Well, God's not confused if Joe should be in that position or not. The Lord knows exactly if he wants Joe to do that or not. So what do we need to do? We need to find out from the Lord. So this is not just a cram session. Let's pray real quick and see if Joe should do that. I think we're to live a life of prayer and communion with the Lord and walk with the Lord. And it would just be apparent to all of us spiritually, yes, Joe is the one called to do that. There's no doubt about it. We all say amen and we lay hands on him. We say, Lord, anoint him for this calling of his life. And there's no disagreement, no division because we've all been on our faces praying regularly. It's our lifestyle. And we recognize the testimony of Christ in Joe and the calling of God upon his life. You see, there's not a division there. But there could be when, when we don't keep our eyes on the Lord, we're not mature, we're not keeping our eyes on the Lord and walking biblically. The Lord's not confused. The Lord's not divided. Uh, he's not you know, wondering what in the world to do or who should do what or what should be preached. God knows. Okay? And so we need to stay in close communion with the Lord. And we need this, y'all, so that our church won't be divided. Amen. That this church won't be divided. It's very important. Uh, he's going to lead us if we'll all seek Him. All right? He'll lead us if we'll all seek Him. We seek Him in His Word. We seek Him in prayer. And then guess what, y'all? We obey what He tells us to do. The Christian life is really not complicated. We can make it complicated. There are a lot of deep things. There are deep things. There's mysteries that the Bible talks about. But walking with Jesus is not complicated. And when I have the privilege of praying with somebody to win them to the Lord, one of the first things I'll tell them is, is okay, they're all excited. They're like a little puppy, you know, and they just gave their life to Jesus. That's a wonderful thing, by the way. You don't want that to wear off, Okay. Uh, and they're kind of like, now what? Now they, they just come, they're, they're just coming out of this life of sin. And then just literally within minutes, they've prayed to give their life to Christ. They're a new creature. I always say, keep it very simple. Don't make it complicated. You know what I tell them? I said, pray, read the Bible, and obey what God tells you to do. And I always add one more to that. When you don't obey what He tells you to do, ask Him to forgive you. And keep walking with the Lord. Because that's obedience to the Lord as well. If we sin, we have an advocate. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. So in my disobedience, there's still a remedy for that. Where I can obey God and be forgiven. But y'all, it's not really more complicated than that. <clears throat> and we're all united in that. There's not a division when we live like that and submit ourselves to the Lord. Now I want to say this. It, it does not mean <clears throat> when the Bible speaks of unity within the body of Christ, okay? It is does not is not the fact that we never have a disagreement. That would be almost impossible. Mm -hmm. You don't see it. You don't see it in life. You don't see it in the Bible. It's not that we never have a disagreement. And sometimes it can be very strong even and contentious. But our unity is that, <clears throat> excuse me, our unity is that we all agree, as I said a little while ago, me and Chris Wilcox have this big disagreement about something within the church. 
He's born again. I'm born again. Does he want what God wants? And do I want what God wants? Okay? Do For his glory, am I willing to find out God's will and say, you know what, Chris? You were right. This is what God wants. I thought this is what God wanted, but I found out in prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord and His Word, that what you said was really God's will for this church. And I'm, humble, I'm going to humble myself and say, for God's sake and for God's glory, we're going to do it not your way, but God's way. You see what I'm saying? So there can be divisions within the body of Christ. It's just how do we resolve them? They can be resolved by the same God that saved us. But we all have to be in agreement that I will yield to whatever God says. I will humble myself to whatever the Lord says. And for God's sake, I want His glory. For God, You know what I'm saying? I want it to be for Christ's glory, not to see who wins and who gets their way. Because it's not about who gets their way. He's the way. And we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. I may be sincerely thinking that I'm doing right and I'd be wrong. I'm wrong in it. And the Lord at some point by His kindness and goodness, I promise He'll show me. If I'll seek Him honestly, He'll show me. And I don't have to continue in the wrong way for ages, you know, and just gone too far to turn back now. So I'm just going to stay in error. No, we turn and we come back to the Lord. It's a beautiful thing and God heals it. And God... Uh, brings that unity, okay? So we might have divisions. And I just want to mention this. Uh, in the Bible, uh, it, there, I can give you two. And let's turn to one real quickly here. In Acts chapter 6. Look at these real quickly. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. You're going to recognize this. I'm going to go in and start reading. Acts 6, 1. And in the days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, so the church is really growing. It's a wonderful thing. Guess what? A problem pops up. Does it destroy the church? Is it the end of the church? Is it the end of Christianity and all God's plans? No, it wasn't. A problem came within the church. It says the disciples were multiplied. There arose a murmuring. I mean, no murmuring is not a good thing. Of the Grecians against the Hebrews. This was the Greek-speaking Christians as opposed, and a lot of people think they were still Jewish Christians, uh, Greek-speaking Christians and against the Hebrew Christians because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Let's say that uh, a lot of poor people in the church, and so people are given, like we read earlier, and they're dis dis you know, dispersing it to meet the needs of the people within the body. And these people are saying, hey, all those Hebrew-speaking Christians, they're, they're all, their widows are taken care of, and our widows are neglected. How come you're not leaving us out over here? And it's not that this wasn't happening. I believe it was happening, okay? We'd all say, oh, that's a shame. That's horrible. But now what do you do about it? It is shame, a shame. It is wrong. It's not Christ-like. It wasn't of the Lord. Well, guess what? It doesn't have to destroy, to destroy the church. There was a problem. It was legitimate. And so here's what they do. Then the twelve, that's the disciples, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it's not reason or not fitting that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. And here's the seven men. We want men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint, business, uh, appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and ministry of the word. So they choose these men 
<clears throat> Stephen, Philip, and so forth. In verse six, when they set before, when, whom they set before the apostles, when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And guess what? It goes on to say the word of God increased, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly, and so forth. So what's happened? That was the end of that problem. The problem doesn't have to stay. Problems are going to come. It's how do we handle them? Will we be humble? Will we submit ourselves to God? Will we honestly, and that includes me as well as you, will we honestly say, all I want is really what God wants? I mean that. I really just want what the Lord wants. And this was fixed. And that problem was taken care of. And guess what? They're a healthy church, a strong church, and God added more to them. Let's look at one more real quickly. Turn over to Acts chapter 11. Verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea, when they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, and when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, these were Christians, but they were the Jewish uh, Christians, okay? That, that first had gotten saved there in Jerusalem. They contended with him. So there's a contention with, Paul, with Peter, one of the original 12 disciples, okay? And, and they said, you went into the men that are uncircumcised and didn't eat with them. But Peter was ready for this. Peter had rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them. Skip down to verse 17. For as much then, this is Peter's speech to the Jewish Christians, for as much then as God gave them, the Gentiles, the like gift as He did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and did what? Kick Peter out of the church. No, it says they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then has God also to the Gentiles give granted repentance unto life. There was a problem. The Jewish Christians still, they were wrong. They were born again, but they were wrong in thinking that the Gentiles weren't to be part of this salvation in Christ. They thought that. And that there was still to be a segregation between Jews and Gentiles. And the Bible clearly teaches we're all one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. But the point is, at this point, they hadn't gotten that yet. So there again, so they just fall apart and the whole thing crumbles and they go at each other's throats all the time. Even these men who are contending, these Christian men who are contending with Peter. Peter, you went to the house of a Gentile. You ate with them. You're not supposed to do that. Peter says, listen, Here's what God told me. I was up on a rooftop and He gave me this vision. What I've called clean, don't you call unclean. And God sent me to the house of a Gentile. And as I was preaching the Gospel, they all believed and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit in one moment. And I know they were because I heard them speak in tongues. And I got these other Jewish Christian brothers that were with me on the scene. And we all saw the same thing and they went, wow, that's awesome. And they glorified God. Guess what? It wasn't a huge falling out. It didn't all fall apart. Because they really wanted what God wanted. Even the ones that were wrong, when they were presented with the truth, they wanted what was right. And they humbled themselves and went. Y'all see that beautiful picture? And that's so important. And I want to just talk about this as, as, as sort of the, the last main thought on this. Is that when we talk about unity, uh, there can be a man-made unity even within the church. Or there can be the true unity of the Lord. 
okay? And the only one that we need to be interested in is the one that God has created and wants to maintain. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians. Jordan wrote, read this in Sunday school, Ephesians 4. Let's start in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called, with all lowliness. And this is for every believer. Walk worthy. Okay, here's how we're to walk. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Capital S there for Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There, that's the body of Christ. There is one Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Now we know there's other spirits. There's demonic spirits and so forth. In the context of speaking about the church, believers, there's one body, one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. All, all, all. One, all, one, all. One God, one Savior, one blood that's washed us, one hope of our calling that we're going to. And he doesn't say, I want you to go create this unity, does he? He says in verse 3, endeavoring. That means we're striving after it. It means uh, actually means to guard. Okay, when it says endeavoring to keep, when you put those together, it means striving to guard, to watch something that's there. I can't guard something that's not there. There is a unity of the Spirit within the, the people of God. And we as believers are to endeavor to keep that. Not create it. If, if you know, Reynolds believes that there's four in the Godhead, and I believe that there's three, but I'm going to try to keep some kind of unity with that. It's not going to work, is it? You see what I'm saying? Or he believes that the Bible and these other religious books are all on equal footing and you know we can go through life that way and we'll all get to heaven someday. I can't maintain a unity with that. But because it's, it's a false unity. It's a, a unity I'm trying to make because I want to keep him as a friend. You know, or keep him as an associate or whatever. And yet... That's not what we're told to do. We're in, to do endeavor to guard the unity of the Spirit. Christ is not divided. So there's already a unity of the Spirit. We, all of us, sitting in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, need to guard. Pray for your church. Pray for each other. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because you know Satan wants to divide. He wants to get in there and set these two against this one over here. He loves to do it. He can do it through doctrine. He can do it through some personal thing that happened. Uh, but we don't have to create a unity and man-made unity. That's going to be weak. It's going to fall apart. But we can guard the unity of the Spirit to endeavor to keep it. It's a, it's a unity that the Lord brings about. I just want to give a couple of examples. Hey, who's heard of the World Council of Churches? Anybody heard of that? There's a National Council of Churches and then a bigger stage. It's like the United Nations almost exactly like the United Nation of Churches. And uh, it's not of the Lord. To me, it's a setup for a coming. I'm not saying it's going to be the root of it, but it's almost like a picture or a setup for a coming one world church. The Bible speaks about that it will prosper for a time under Antichrist during the tribulation. It won't be for long. 
but it is coming. And uh, to be those outside of Christ. It's the last that I read from the statistics I got, 349 global churches, not individual churches like denominations, 349 global churches. This is part of their dogma, seeking unity to pursue the goal of visible unity of the church. And I'm just going to read a little expose. It's a unity maintained at the expense of absolute, the absolute truth of the Word of God, though. And y'all, we can't have unity at the expense of truth. Amen. Then you have some kind of unity, but it's not the unity of the Spirit that we're called to, to maintain. For example, the World Council of Churches approves the ordination of practicing homosexuals and tolerates an amazing variety of heretical beliefs. Uh, at the Reimagining Conference in Minneapolis, 1993, the Deputy General of the World Council of Churches taught that, and it gives the person's name, at their, at their conference. We all have spirit mothers who avenge us and that the spirits of the dead surround us in the rustling tree, trees and the groaning woods and the crying grass and the moaning rocks. Uh, and he talks about bringing out the God that's within you, that that's all, he defines salvation as this, bringing out what is within you. Well, all that's in us is sin, okay? So if we just want to bring that out, then it'll just be more manifest that we're sinners. Uh, that is a man-made unity at the expense of divine truth. The World Council of Churches, there's a National Council of Churches as well. Let me just read this quickly from the Masons. Who knows about Freemasonry? You heard about it, know anything about it. A lot of Christians are Masons, or a lot of, at least in name, Christians are Masons. That is very entrenched in our society. And uh, they have the Shriners Hospitals, and they do a lot of good works. Nobody can argue that they do good works. But is that Christian unity? Let me give an example here from them. Uh, it says, in Freemasonry, this is one of their statements, they promote progressive and social policies such as abortion. It says they invite to the altar. It says masonry invites to the altar men of all faiths. All faiths. Okay? Knowing that if they use different names for the nameless one of a hundred names, they are yet praying to one God and Father of all. Knowing also that while they read different volumes, <coughs> it's like one reads the Bible, one reads the Quran. They are, in fact, reading the same book of the faith of man. Do you believe that that's true? That's not at all what the Bible teaches. So come there, it invites men of all faiths to one altar. Is that the unity of the Spirit? No, but a lot of Christians, or, you know, name, at least in, claim to be Christians, it says the true Mason is not creed-bound. This is from their own literature, okay? The true Mason realizes with the divine illumination of his lodge, that as a Mason, his religion must be universal. Christ, Buddha, or Muhammad. The name means little. For he recognizes the one light and not the light bearer. He worships at every shrine. Bows before every altar, whether in temple, mosque, cathedral. Realizing with his true understanding the oneness of all spiritual truth. Okay, that is... Uh, blasphemy, that's heretical, that's not Christian, there's nothing Christian about it, and so that's not the unity. But people in the world, they love to see groups getting together. They say, oh, this is wonderful, they're making peace, they're coming together. 
Well, there needs to be a separation in things like that. You might have heard of uh, evangelists and Catholics together. Who knows, who's familiar with that? In uh, 1994, the first document was signed. You ought to look it up online and look at it. I remember studying this stuff. Uh, ECT, is what it's called, evangelists and Catholics together. Uh, several year, years later, there was an ECT number two, and they, they updated it. What are they doing? They're trying to basically do away with what Martin Luther uh, stood up and said by faith only. And they're trying to bring the Catholic Church and the Christian Church back together. And yet it's not based on biblical truth. I would love for the whole world to be together. We could sing Kumbaya. You know, we'd all be together and, and just all be as one. But Christ has brought that division. And so he said, he that's not with me scatters abroad. We're not with Christ. So I can't go worship at a mosque and think that everything's going to be okay. And so, uh, anyway, so there's these different, uh, the statement is written, I'll just read a little bit of this from evangelic, evangelicals and Catholics together. It's a group, it's a, a pact that they made. The statement is written as a testimony that spells out the need for Protestants and Catholics to, de to, to deliver, deliver a common witness to the modern world at the eve of the third millennium. And it says, uh, it does not mention any spe specific points of theology and instead seeks to encourage what is known as spiritual ecumenism and day-to-day -day ecumenism. And so uh, we affirm together that we are justified by grace through faith because of Christ. But what does a Roman Catholic mean when he says this? The document does not address uh, the, the Council of Trent's anathemas on all those who believe that we're saved by grace through faith alone. And so there's different meanings to it. And uh, it's a document that is using language which means one thing to the evangelicals and it means another thing to the Roman Catholics. And so this is not a bashing of the Catholics or, or anyone. But the point is that Christ will create a unity when we're born again. That's the unity we need to endeavor to maintain. Not some man-made, even in the name of Christ, in the name of religion, to try to bring these two groups together. And if we're all born again, we're going to be unified. I love the example A.W. Tozer gave. It stuck with me. He says, let's say that there was 100 people in this room. I don't have to try to be unified with every single 100 person. And let's say 10 more walk in. Now I've got to try to be in unity with 110 people. And you have to do the same. And it gets really complicated. He said, if you had 100, 100 pianos in a big room, say in a big warehouse, and all the 100 pianos were in perfect tune, guess what? They'll be in tune with each other, right? There's a standard that each one of them was tuned to the same standard. And if they're all in tune with that standard, they will be in perfect tune with each other. And the same for our unity. So we don't try to make something up. You follow God with all your heart. And encourage me to do so. And I'll follow God with all of my heart. And I'll encourage you to do so. And we'll get off. We'll get our eyes back on Jesus. And put it back on the Lord. Because that standard doesn't change. And He doesn't change. And He's not confused. And he's not divided. And there's not a strife and a rift and a contention. Anywhere within Christ or within the Trinity or the Word of God. And so we'll be in perfect tune with each other in unity we keep our eyes on the Lord like that. Amen? God wants to keep us there. I'm not much on reading little poems, but I thought this was kind of 
it's a, it's it's kind of comical. <coughs> Anybody heard of a limerick? Anybody knows what a limerick is? Okay, it's these little poems that kind of rhyme. All right, it's called Two Cats of Kilkenny. There once were two cats of Kilkenny. Each thought there was one cat too many. They fought and they spit. They clawed and they bit. Till instead of two cats, there weren't any. And so we had these two cats and they were just, each thought they were right and they needed to get away with the other ones. So they fought and fought and then the whole thing was destroyed. They, were, they both killed each other. There was none left. And so the Bible says we're to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And I'll just going to bring this to a close. That How do we do that? We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do it by staying in prayer. We do it by loving one another like the Bible says. A new commandment, Jesus, that I give you, that you love one another. That we prefer one another. That we esteem others better than ourselves. It's a witness for Christ. By this will all men know that you have love. I mean, that you're my disciples. That you have love one for another. It glorifies the Lord. That we submit to the standard of, of God's Word. That we um, don't compromise the Word of God. Don't try to make up some unity to try to bridge over things that are undoctrinal. And when we see that, and then the whole thing, it, it turns into some apostate church before you know it. Because we compromised here, we compromised there, and we didn't lose, want to lose my best buddy over here and my friend over here, and I really like my Sunday school teacher over here. And even though they're saying things that are wrong and they're perpetuating things that are wrong and making wrong judgments, we're just going to gloss over it. And maybe you've got some kind of unity, but it's not the unity of the Spirit. And God wants us to, to live in such a way that we keep our eyes upon Him and He's going to help bring that, un that unity and He's going to maintain it. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed one of another. I'm going to close with, uh, with these two Scriptures. If you turn with me to Psalm 133, verse 1. Like I said, having this as a theology is one thing. Putting it into practice can be difficult, but it's not impossible, y'all. The Lord helps us to do it. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. It's, it's the whole psalm right there. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious, precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there, there the Lord commanded the blessings, even life forevermore. So a couple of things I take from that psalm. First of all, it says how beautiful and wonderful it is for Christians to dwell together in unity. He, and the, what he gives the analogy is just like this dew that comes down, or this anointing oil that ran down upon Aaron. And one thing you notice from that is it comes from up to down. It flows down. And it comes from the Lord. Okay? The anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life. I'm not envious of that. I'm not jealous of that. I thank God for that in your life. We're not in competition. If, if, you know, Amber's used to win ten times more people to the Lord than I am, I would say hallelujah. You understand what I'm saying? It comes down from the Lord. He brings this unity. And I just have to walk in that and endeavor to maintain that. I don't have to go try to bridge some gap that's, uh, that God doesn't want bridged. 
that only He can bridge through salvation. Okay? Bring the Gospel in that case. But y'all, and I just want to say it about our church, even though we're young, we're a little over six months old right here. Y'all have been walking with the Lord for many, many years. I know that. But this church is only half a year old, basically. And I appreciate and none of these sermons that I preached on a healthy church have been from the sense that oh, we really are lacking, we really need this, and I've got to address this problem. To me, it's been wonderful. I'm not foolish enough to think we couldn't have problems or, or don't. Uh, but I just think it's been wonderful to walk with the Lord. We're all, if we keep this way and just keep minding the same things, judging the same things, be perfectly joined together, truly esteem others better than ourselves, truly weep with those who weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. That's walking in the unity of the Spirit. Keeping your eyes. Don't tolerate from me or anybody else some false doctrine. I won't tolerate it from you, but I'll still love you. And I'll tell you about it. You love me and tell me about it. And let's all agree, Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is going to be our standard. That's what we're going to submit to. Amen? And so I want you to understand with me and, and the altar's going to be open. Let's just pray. Let's pray. Maybe there's somebody in this room that you are uh, at odds with. And God may put it, I'm sure He will, if you'll ask Him. He'll put it on your heart to go to them and, and make it right, but in a Christian way, in a mature way, in a humble way. Not overlooking uh, some important doctrine or something like this.